You know, we're not only a worshiping community, but we are a learning community. One of the reasons we come to church is not just to give ourselves to God. And in our lives, we need to give ourselves away. And every week we get to do this together. We get to give ourselves to God. And when we give ourselves to God, we just can't outgive him, you know. But the other thing is we get to learn together. And we get to learn, like, in real time together Every single week. And I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles this morning to John chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. But before I go up there, I'd like to, to say that, um, you know, in the recent passing uh, into glory of Billy Graham, uh, this includes John 3.16, our text. There's been a lot of John 3.16 uh, thrown about. And I don't know that we've said anything about Billy Graham since his death. And so I'd like to say uh, just how much all of, all of us on our staff, how much we have appreciated um, his evangelistic ministry. Well done, Billy. Uh, you've entered your race, your, your rest rather. You've, you've run the race well. So I feel like that kind of needed to be said after such a life. But uh, let me channel a little Billy Graham before, we go, before I go up there. God loves you because God loves sinners. And God loves the world. Amen? Amen. Let's turn to John 3. Verse 14 through 21. But let me just read John 3.16. Why don't we just quote it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Do you know that's kind of cool? I didn't ask you all to do that. I said I was going to quote... But uh, why don't we, why don't we, you want to say that again? That'd be all, I, I just thought that was amazing. Y'all were tentative, but I was like, oh, I guess I did kind of say quote, didn't I? <laughs> so why don't we do that? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Congratulations. You quoted what is probably the most popular verse in the entire Bible, at least in modern culture. And there's a reason that people know this verse. It's, it's because it tells us something that we desperately need to know. We need to know in our search for love, in our need for love and meaning, we need to know that God is love. We need to know that God loves us and and there's a lot of confusion about God in our world today there is a lot of indifference toward God as as sometimes we we focus on ourselves and the and the bigger we get the first person pronoun i the smaller kind of god appears and there can be indifference there's there can be hostility toward God and a lot of people report a rising hostility toward Christianity There are a lot of people who say they're disappointed in God today. Um, There are people who say they, they don't trust God. And there are people who say God doesn't exist at all. And we just kind of made him up in our our mind because we need something to lean on. So we've, we've created, we've created God. And, and then there's this whole other group that they think God's like dormant. He's like a volcano that went off, you know, thousands of years ago in the Bible, but He's just silent now. I love this passage because the Bible says that God is alive, God is active, 
and the God of heaven and earth loves. And he loves sinners. And there's a, there's kind of a moment here that is refreshed in the present tense where the love of God is experienced by people as Jesus has understood and received. So let's read from John 3, 14 through 21. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent, serpent in the wilderness, so also the Son of Man, so also must the Son of Man be lifted up. For whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So I want you to write four words on your bulletin, or if you put it in your Bible, you can. These are four things that we learn about God's active love in this passage. The first is that the love of God is costly. So just write the word costly. The second is that the love of God is effective, 100% effective. The third is that the love of God is wide. And the fourth is that the love of God is personal to each person, wide and personal, costly, effective, wide and personal. The text really begins by describing how costly the love of God is for me and for you. Uh, Jesus, as he is speaking here, like pulls back into the book of Numbers. He pulls, reaches back into Numbers and pulls out this obscure story from the book of Numbers uh, where he refers to Moses lifting up, putting a bronze serpent, a bronze snake on a pole and and lifting up this serpent in the wilderness. And and we have to ask, what is that about? So you kind of got to go back to Numbers to understand what it's about. Well, in Numbers 21, if you want to turn there, we're going to read a few verses. In Numbers 21, uh, the people were in rebellion against God. And so snakes appeared and snakes started biting the people and they were poisonous snakes and people were dying. And what, and what can we do? And God told Moses to, um, to make a bronze snake and put it on a pole and lift it up. Now what's interesting about this is why a snake? I thought snakes were bad. You know, a snake came into the Garden of Eden. Well, it's because the snakes were let loose and they were biting. The very cause of their death and distress was the very thing that God wanted raised up on that pole. And so everybody 
that looked at that bronze snake lifted up on the pole was healed. This is Numbers 21, 6 through 9. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people in Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if the serpent bit, if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and he would live. Jesus says, this is what the love of God is like. When Jesus was sent by the Father, he took the very thing that caused our death, causes our death and distress, our sin, and raised it up on a pole. He put our sin on Jesus. And he lifted up Jesus on the cross in full view with our sin to be our healing. And whoever looks to Jesus, just like the serpent, can live. So Jesus is making a one-to-one correspondence of what is lifted up. And that there's healing that comes through God dealing with the source of death um, that is lifted up on, on the pole. Just as, he says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so also the Son of Man must be lifted up, and whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And so uh, this is about the cross. The love of God is costly. What did the love of God for us, for us to be healed, for us to have a relationship with God, what did it cost? It only cost the life of God's own Son. His only begotten son who was lifted up on the tree just like the snake was lifted up on the serpent. And so John 3.16 basically defines love for us. If you're ever in a debate about what love is, you can just say, well, it's very easy to tell you. Love is God so loved that he gave. God so loved that it, that it cost him something. So in our lives, even, even in our marriages, even in our friendships, the way we define love is self-giving. It's something costly, something given. That's how you show somebody you love them. And so love is the ultimate cost here in John 3, 14 and 15, that just as the snake was lifted up, Jesus Christ was crucified for us. That the love of God is costly. But secondly, the love of God is effective. And that's the other reason that Jesus reaches down into Numbers 21 and he tells the story about the, the snake on the pole because you notice that everyone who looked at the snake on the pole was cured of the snake bite. 100% effective every time. And there was an actual change that took place in their bodies when they looked at the uh, snake on the pole. And, and this is the same point. That just as there was 100% effectiveness for those that looked to the bronze serpent. You ready for this? There's 100% effectiveness for those who look to Jesus for their salvation. As he is lifted up for us and crucified in our place. 100%. No one has ever looked to Jesus in faith and trusted in him that was not saved. That's never happened. 
And people may have thought they understood something about Jesus, but when we, when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to understand why Jesus came, his true identity is the Son of God who has taken our place and, and, and God has placed our sin on Jesus and punished Jesus in our place so that we go free. We don't have to be punished by this holy God. We basically exchange our sin for a relationship with God that never goes away because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. You know, there are a lot of people who um, kind of have this idea that spiritual things aren't real. You say, so, you know, the spiritual things, they're just kind of symbolic. They're just kind of ethereal, but they're, but they're not real. And um, these are the same people that will tell you that Christianity is, is some kind of a change in mindset. It's just kind of a, a spiritual tide change. It's no different from other religions. Uh, other religions, you just kind of get a different mindset. And there's all this kind of hoodoo that helps you get a different mindset. And maybe you can live a little better with your, with your new spirituality. That is not Christianity. And that is certainly not the effectiveness that's spoken of in John chapter 3. The love of God in Jesus is 100% effective. You see, it actually accomplishes something because Jesus didn't take imaginary, or God didn't take imaginary sin and place it on Jesus. He took my sin, my real sin, and your real sin, and he placed it on his actual only son, sent as the Lamb of God, the final sacrifice, who actually died on the cross. This isn't a symbol who actually was punished in my place so that before a holy God, my sins could be dealt with once and for all. And when we put our trust in Christ and what he's done and, and receive him as the risen Christ, our, we are actually forgiven. Our slate is actually clean. We actually get the real righteousness of God. We actually know God. We get the actual Holy Spirit. You see, this isn't just spirituality. This is actuality. This is in time and space. There is no salvation without this literal, physical action of God. But that's what makes it so wonderful. Because it's not a mindset. It happened. God so loved us, you see. That he sent his only son, just raised up just like a bronze serpent. And if we will look at him, we will live 100% effective. I remember I was driving home from Auburn one day and, and there was a friend that lived in a nearby, uh, town, North Florida town nearby to me. And so I was taking him home. And, um, so that's about three and a half hours, uh, from Auburn to, to my house. And so we had a lot of time to talk and, I was a junior and I was a believer by that time and he was a freshman. And we'd known each other forever. And so, you know, I don't know that he was expecting me to start talking about Christ and where he is with God. But he was trapped for three and a half hours, I'll tell you that. And um, and I said, you know, tell me, uh, you grew up in the church, right, right, right. Tell me what it is that you believe about God and and about who we are, can you help me understand what you believe about Jesus of Nazareth? And I'll never forget, he said, and there's a lot of people say this. He said, well, I mean, I believe in Jesus and all that. But I take comfort in the fact that even if it's not true, 
You can't go wrong by living by the Bible. Whoa! See, that's a, that's a mindset change. That's that spirituality thing as opposed to actuality. And on that same ride home, he discovered that he had never put his trust in Jesus. And he'd never understood why God came into the world to save us and what that looked like. You know, in that car, he put his trust in Jesus. And I'll give, I'll give you a little addendum to this story that's so great. Years later, I was trying to catch up with him. And so I called his house. I just had their house number. And his mother, who was just this beautiful, wonderful lady, answered the phone. And I said, I'm trying to get in touch with Bobby. I'll give you his number. This is, this is amazing. She said, do you know my story spiritually? Like she launched into this. She said, remember when Bobby came home with you from Auburn? Yes, I remember. And Bobby, Bobby came to know the Lord when he was going home with you. He said, you know what happened when he got home? He came in and that night he pulled me and his dad aside. And for about an hour he talked about what it meant that Jesus Christ came into the world to be that sacrifice. He said, she said, Joseph... I put my trust in Jesus the same night that Bobby did in the car with you. And I just love him. It is costly. It's 100% effective. Whoever looks at the Son, whoever believes, will live. But thirdly, the love of God is wide. It's wide and it's personal. Costly, effective, Wide and personal. You know the wide part, right? For God so loved what? The world. That's the wide part. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And, um, you know, as you, as you read about what was being taught by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and different people in Judaism during the time of Jesus, you know, all this is written down. Uh, a lot of it's collected in what's called the Mishnah. Um, and, and there's a couple of other documents that, that's kind of the oral tradition. But here's what you need to understand. Is that this was a... When Jesus said, God so loved the world that he sent his only... This was a radical thought. Now, it shouldn't have been radical. You know, when, when we were baptizing Elliot Jacob, uh, we were talking about the covenant... And this, you can trace that right back to the covenant that God made with Abraham. And we're still looking to God for salvation. And, and Abraham looked to the Christ that would come, etc. But you know, in that covenant with Abraham, God said this, And I will bless you so that you will be a blessing and the nations will be blessed by you. So there was a kind of a great commission built into God's intentions for the world in the Old Testament. But I, I just want you to know that by the time of Jesus... That That whole intentionality um, about the world had been largely lost. And so for Jesus to, to say, God so loved the world, is a scandalous thing to say in Israel at this time. Leon Morris, New Testament scholar, says, Though it was often said in earlier writings that God loves his own people, the Jews... There appears to be no Jewish writings in Jesus' day that say that God's love reaches all mankind. 
But the truth is that God loves not only the Jew, but other nations too. This is what the word world in John 3.16 means. God so loved the world. What does that mean? In biblical context, it means not just the Jews. The other nations, and by the way, nations weren't geopolitical entities with boundaries. Nations just meant people groups with their own culture and their own mores. God so, Jesus says, God so loves all the nations. Remember the Great Commission? What did Jesus say to us through his, his disciples in the Great Commission? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Meaning, not just the Jews. Make disciples of the whole world and all the people groups of the world. Now, you and I have a problem with our love. Our love is not divine love. And all the time it does not, it does not echo or, or resemble divine love. But you and I, in, in practice, um, we often restrict our love to certain people and certain types of people. And, and, you know, deep in our heart of hearts, we couldn't imagine how somebody would love a person like that. We couldn't imagine how somebody would love somebody so different or in another culture. Or, you know, a great example is those, those uh, Muslims. Like, do you love the Muslims? God does. This is a part of the nations. And, and, and functionally, sometimes we are very restrictive uh, in the way we love. But God's love challenges this notion of our love and how inferior our love it really really is because it's for all kinds of people every tribe nation tongue and language what did paul say in romans 116 i am not ashamed of the gospel for the gospel is the power of god unto salvation remember first for the jew and then for the gentiles this is the theme that is from the covenant on, this is a theme all the way across the Bible. So, the love of God is costly. Jesus is raised up. The love of God is effective. Whoever looks to him and believes in him will be saved. And the love of God is wide. It, it's not just for the Jews. It is for every group of people in the world. It's wide. Isn't this wonderful to kind of take John 3.16 apart like this? Lastly, the love of God is personal. See, it's not just wide to include all these nations and people groups. It's, it's about one person. It's about individual. We have the all of the world and we have the each of whosoever believes in him. Or whoever believes in him. That's the each of John 3.16. You know, if you ever think about Jesus Christ sent from God for our salvation because we couldn't rise to God as selfish sinners, if you ever think about that and, and Christ is on the cross and he's being punished in our place, if we think about Jesus' agony, excruciating agony on the cross, um, the kind of almost unthinkable suffering, anything you're thinking about is not adequate 
Because there's eternal punishment being meted out on Jesus in our place on the cross. And we can't understand what eternal punishment looks like. But that's what's happening on the cross. But you know what? That, that was for me personally. That wasn't just for anybody. That wasn't just for people groups. Christ died on the cross for me. And, and if you've put your trust in Jesus, you can say that. Christ dying for me. Isn't that wonderful? Christ rising again to give life to, to me. So we, we kind of move on in this passage. And what we know is this. We know that every single person in the world is condemned before a holy God. It's just who we are. We're sinners before a holy God. Every single person in the world is condemned by God. But we also learn that and see that condemned people can put their trust in Jesus. And be rescued and be brought into the arms of this God and and have their sins forgiven. And this is where we, we learn this is in verse 17. I don't know if you know this, but like the, the snake on the stick thing and before the John 3.16 and then the condemnation of the world after and then this last part I'm going to get to in a minute. We never talk about these. We only talk about John 3.16 and we kind of make it sound like what we want it to sound like. Let me, let me read Jesus' actual words. John 3.17 For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him. Why? Because the world's already condemned. He goes on to say in verse 18, Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe in him him is condemned already. You understand that? Condemned already. Because he's not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Jesus did not come into the world to tell people they were bad. That was not his mission. They were already bad. We were already bad before he came into the world. We were already condemned. No, this is love. God so loved. The word so magnifies. So loved the world that he sent his only son. If you look at him, like, you know, as he's lifted up, you'll be saved. Because his main mission wasn't to condemn the world. It was to save the world. You and I cannot condemn a person. You don't know what's in somebody's heart. You don't know whether they put their trust in Jesus. Who are you to condemn a person? Um, But we can hold out God's love in the cross to people. And I'll get to how we can say we're all condemned. I mean, don't you love Romans 8.1? There is therefore now... No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, like, how are Christians caricatured today? Those are those people that just go around condemning people. Those are those people that just go around judging people. You should never be saying that somebody's sins are worse than another before God. Who do you think you are? You understand, that's where we get in trouble. 
That's where we stand in the place of God in, in this judgment. No, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe in him is condemned already. What we can go around saying is this. We need outside help to know God. Because God is holy and he's beyond us as people who are intrinsically selfish and sinners. And that's why salvation is never found by just renovating what's inside of us, moving the spiritual furniture around in our hearts. Salvation always has to come from the outside. That's why we can, we can simply announce to people, we all are sinners, not just you particularly. And this is who Jesus is And this is what he has come to do for us. Now, I want to I want to finish by encouraging um, those of you who have put your trust in Christ to think about darkness, because the, the what's about to happen in this text is we're about to shift from condemnation and sin and life through Jesus to the metaphor of darkness and light. Now, I want you to think about darkness, but I want you to think about all darkness, including yours. Let me read verses 19 through 21. And this is the judgment, God's judgment, that the light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light Because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things and lives in wickedness, it means, hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds, his works, should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, that it may be clearly seen, very important sentence, that his works have been carried out in God. John 1, 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So there's, there's condemnation, right, in the world universally. There's dark, spiritual darkness in the world as well. 100% effective when you look to Jesus, lifted up on the cross, that you gain a relationship with God, 100% sure that darkness cannot stand up to the light of the gospel. Cannot. And I I want you to think now about darkness. We kind of talked about, you know, telling people you're a sinner and you need a Savior. I won't go over that again. But a lot of people look at John 3.16 and the verses around it only in terms of just getting saved. I think the implications of this in this whole interview with Nicodemus that's going on here is far beyond just getting saved. I think this has to do with who Jesus is and and what he's done for us and what it means to know Jesus and to know what salvation is and how to live in it. Notice it says that these works have been carried out in God. In verse 21, there's a relationship that has happened where light is being shown. 
I guess we could put it this way. When, when my life and your life, when our lives are darkened, we can turn to Jesus. It's not just people who've never turned to Jesus that can turn to Jesus. When our lives are darkened, we can turn to Jesus. You know, when, when, I, when I was a brand new believer, it was darkness to light. I mean, one of the great things about being a brand new believer is the clarity of darkness and life, of, of cosmic guilt under, under, under a holy God and total forgiveness forever through Jesus. Death versus life, all these things, light, a darkness into light. And uh, I want you to know that when I, when I came to Jesus, I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know anything. But I just, knew I, wanted, I just knew I wanted to live with him in my life, and I just wanted him to lead me. I knew that the Bible was going to play a big role in this. I knew that was God's truth. I started reading the Bible. Always a very helpful thing if you want to know about God and the, and the Christian life. Um, I started learning how to pray. And, you know, I had these wonderful prayers, like I would say, hey, God, it's me, Joseph. You know, I didn't learn how to pray fancy until later. And I'd say, God, I'm really struggling today. And I know you, and I feel terrible about this, and I just, I just need your grace. And I would just, just talk like that, like a, like a little child, you know, to God. And, um, but, but there is a, a grayness that can seep into our lives over time. There's a lot of water under y'all's bridges. There are a lot of things that happened that you didn't like, and there are a lot of things that disappointed you and angered you, and there's bitterness, and there's, there's sin, and there's, I mean, just, there's just all this stuff that's just water under your bridge. And there is, in every human life, there is a kind of battle that's going on, and there is a grayness that can seep into our lives. I'm talking about over time and stay there. I'm not saying Jesus isn't in your life. And it starts to darken our hearts. That's just the truth about the spiritual life. And we need today, we need what the Bible calls the joy of our salvation. Restore unto me the joy of our salvation. We need what the Bible calls first love. Restore to me the clarity, the brightness, and the joy of of first love. And, and look, here's the thing, is that let's don't take John 3.16 just to be about people getting saved. I mean, it's primarily about that. But let's get down to verse 21 and realize that there's something of a relationship here in this darkness and the light that results by being with God. And, and why don't we say this, that we need to embrace being open with God, our real hearts. And where they are. When was the last time that you said, God, I'm gray. I just want to tell you about this. And, and I'm hardening. The concrete's getting dried in a bad place. You see what I'm saying? First John is a book that talks about walking in the light and walking in the love of Jesus. And, and when it talks about this, it, it, we, we read these words, if we say we have no sin, we lie. And the truth is not in us. 
But, but if we confess our sins, he is effective, 100% faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Back to John three nineteen. But whoever does what's true comes to the light that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Lived in God. So, what do you need as you've experienced some grayness and some darkening? You need Jesus. You need the, the newness. You need this first love. You need the light of the world operative. You need the the gospel, the good news to be the only ground of your relationship and who you need now. You don't need somebody to do something. If they'd finally do this, you'd be okay. You're not going to be okay even if they do it because you've got to live with you. Or if they stop doing this, you'd be okay. You're not going to be ultimately okay without him these things, this light, this shows that it, that is, it is done in God. It, it is shown that it is with God. You understand, God didn't just save you and said, hey, you're on your own now. You can go back and back and back to Jesus who loves you. He so loves you. He died on the cross. He was raised up. One scholar puts it this way, and I just loved it. Our security before the Lord And our sense of acceptance before the Lord is not based on looking awesome. It's based on looking to the awesome one, Jesus Christ, who died for our sin and offers us continually forgiveness and cleansing. I'll close with a little story. I've got a pastor friend. He's one of the, he's one of the, he's a great guy. He's one of the funniest people I've ever met. And when we lived in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, we started a church in Tuscaloosa called Trinity Presbyterian. He was the director of Campus Crusade for Christ at University of Alabama. So he came to our church, Steve and Heather Johnson. Uh, We became close friends of their family. We love the Johnsons. Still hang out with the Johnsons to this day. But you know, he used to have this saying, and he was was really funny, remember? He kind of did this tongue-in-cheek thing. He'd say, Joseph, yes, Steve, had to leave myself to the Lord again this morning. I totally get that. Let me say it again, Joseph. Yes, Steve. I had to lead myself to the Lord again this morning. He's not saying he needed to be saved again. He's saying he needed Jesus again. There is no intermediary between God and man with Other than Jesus. There is no remedy for sin other than Jesus. There's no forgiveness of sins other than Jesus. There's no cleansing for sin other than Jesus. There's no Holy Spirit other than Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. The love of God in John 3 is costly, lifted up on a cross. It is effective. Everyone, 100% who believes. It is wide. It's for the entire world, all the the people groups of the world, and not just for the Jews. And it's personal that whoever believes will have everlasting life. And it's personal for us to be able to dwell with Jesus in this grace in which we now stand. Let's go to the Lord. And I'm going to ask you to lead yourself to the Lord again, okay? Lord, it's us. 
or maybe I should say it's me, and you know me, and um, Lord, you see the grayness that has seeped in to my life. You see the hardness that is beginning to happen in my life. You see the darkening in corners of my life. Would you turn the light on again, that light of the good news? Because Jesus, we turn to you. You who intercede for us. We confess our sins to you. And you are faithful and just to apply out of what you have earned for us on the cross freshly this forgiveness and this cleansing. And Lord, we pray that you would cause brightness with you in our lives. But Father, we also pray that as we live among other sinners, that we would be able to announce the good tidings of salvation in Jesus. We pray in his holy name. Amen.